Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. All right. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Are you there? I can see you. I cannot hear you yet. Still can't hear you. Hey. There we go. That's I love starting an episode that way. It's riveting. It's just the suspense of if we're going to be able to hear you. It's great. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. I like that we're wearing matching shirts today. That'll be fun yeah. for that'll be fun for uh for the social media posts um before we get started which i'm very excited to chat with you about everything going on but before we do i do have to get through one quick ad read i hope you don't mind I have to make you sit through that i'm so sorry <laughs> this week's episode of 39 minute conversations is not technically presented by wga strike shirts.com if you've been out there in the picket lines driven by the picket lines watched the news seen the striking writers on social media You've seen a lot of identical blue shirts, and they're great shirts. These are the official shirts from the WGA that we got handed in the first day. But here's the thing. You can only get so many wears out of that same thing. shirt when you, when you have to, before you have to wash it, especially when you're outside walking and sweating all day. So maybe you're a WGA writer who needs more shirts to wear out there on the picket lines. Maybe wherever you are, you just want to support the strike and look good doing it. Whoever you are, wherever you are, WGAStrikeShirts.com has exactly what you're looking for. And here's the coolest part. 100% of all net proceeds go to the Entertainment Community Fund, helping Hollywood workers who have been negatively impacted by the work stoppage. At the time of this recording, WGAStrikeShirts.com has already generated over $15,000 for the Entertainment Community Fund. Several WGA screenwriters have already vouched for the website, including Eric Appel, Trooper Clancy, Saeed Crumpler, Corey Deshaun, Anna Klassen, Ben Meckler, Jeff Topolsky, Amy Wang, many more. If you want to support the WGA strike and the Entertainment Community Fund and have a shirt that proves it, check out WGAStrikeShirts.com. Check the episode description for a link in case you missed the name of the website somehow, even though I've said it, I think, 20 times. But once more, for good measure, WGAStrikeShirts.com. And hello, I am Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. We're in the middle of a new series, sitting down with people who have been out there on the picket line, standing in solidarity with the WGA. My guest today is a very funny, very talented writer, producer, and actor who is way too successful to be on this podunk podcast, but we appreciate it anyway. She wrote, produced, and starred in Suicide Kale, which won numerous awards, including the Audience Award at Outfest and Newfest. She's acted on shows like Transparent and a Black Lady Sketch Show, which she also wrote for. When she's not striking, she is a writer and producer on the hit ABC comedy Abbott Elementary, which she won an NAACP Image Award for. She's also a WGA captain out there on the picket lines. Folks, please welcome. Welcome, Brittany Nichols. What's up? <laughs> oh, so much buildup for a hey, what's up? I love it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for doing this. I'm so happy to have you. Um, we've known each other for a little bit. Not, not that well. We never hung out a ton, but we had a lot of mutual friends. We'd see each other around UCB or just the general LA comedy scene. And since then, 
obviously your career has really taken off, which has been incredibly impressive and incredibly cool to see. I've, I've been rooting for you. I've been so excited and happy for you. So I'm just excited to see you and catch up. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I never avoided you. So that's, I feel like, where <laughs> I'm trying to, whenever I see people from the past, I'm like, was I ever actively trying not to say hi to this person? No, I wanted to say hi to this person. Probably means they're pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very nice. I, I feel the same way about you. I was always like, oh, cool, Brittany's here. But then we never really followed up on that too right. much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do try to start these interviews mostly the same way. Um Aside from picketing, I don't, you know, the pandemic turned me into a bit of a shut-in. I don't get out a ton anymore. Um, I wanted something kind of creative to do again outside of, you know, from the comfort of my home. Um, so I do want to start with how how have the last few years been for you? How is maybe, how have you changed? How did you stay sane? How is this Brittany different than, say, 2019 Brittany? Weirdly, I think I've become more social. And mm. once I'm out, okay. I don't think it's changed the amount that I'm willing to go out. I think I've had the normal sort of decrease that comes with age of like, I'm not trying to go out at like midnight anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh God, no. But once I have like landed at like a party or an event or whatever, I think I'm more social than I used to be. So I am just more talkative. Um, I got my girlfriend to move. That was like a big Thing that came out of lockdown <laughs> mm -hmm. was I had been like oh this apartment is fine and then once we were trapped inside of it I was like oh I hate this place <laughs> I don't want to live here uh and so we were able to move to Los Feliz which I had lived in for like years before and so I was like mm -hmm. really happy to be back so you're already living with her and then you decided to upgrade together not like I'm gonna get you to move here during during this Right. Yeah. I had moved okay. in with her the Thanksgiving before uh, COVID happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been living in the Palisades. So as you can imagine, sort of anything that was not the Palisades at the time felt like an upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to start with the story of the moment, which is obviously the WGA strike. So, I mean, first and foremost, just how are you holding up being out there every day you're a leader in in the movement on your at your location as a captain how are you feeling how's it going and i think it's a very complicated answer honestly like, sure give I, me all of it i i feel very heartened by the consistency with which people are showing up um uh, there's still people there every day i see some people that come every day to the same spot, um, which is what I'm doing at Warner mm -hmm. Brothers. I'm there every morning. Um, so it's nice to be like, oh, there are other people who are doing the same thing that I'm doing who like sort of understand the, I guess, wares that it has just on your both physical body and like mentally. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not like, oh, I'm fucking over this. I just need this to be over. I'm going insane. I have not hit that wall yet. That's good. But I have sort of, hit the framing of like wow this is like such a fucking waste of our lives like it's <laughs> just so annoying yeah that they are forcing us to do this and that mm -hmm. they won't just give us a deal like it really just pisses me off that me and like thousands of people i feel like our our lives are sort of on pause because mm -hmm. it's like you're going to walk in a circle for several hours <laughs> a day and then the rest of your day you're just like all right how am i gonna like 
get over that I spent the first part of my day walking in a circle. Mm-hmm. And you do that five days a week. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's just infuriating. Like I think it just like as much as it could wear people down, I hope that people just are sort of just like the the simmering of the anger is just like slowly building because every day I'm just like, wow, they're really fucking making me do this another day mm-hmm. when we're gonna win and they're gonna give up. So what why are what is the point? Yeah. Now I was talking to a writer friend and they were saying it kind of almost feels like uh, obviously not the same implications, but pandemic 2.0 a little bit in that it shuts everything down where there we can't actively do what we normally do. And it is feels literally in this case, just going in circles, just waiting for it to end. Yeah. And it's also like for us, at least since the Abbott room was supposed to start the week of the strike, mm-hmm. that means that like one day we're going to be on the picket line. Next day we're going to be like at work. And yeah. also just like that is messing with me a little sure. bit. Sure. Like after doing literally like weeks and weeks of manu- the manual labor of like walking and holding a sign and setting shit up and breaking shit down, <laughs> then I'm going to have to go and like flip this switch to now be like, and now it's time to make the funnies for the people that I fucking hate. <laughs> <laughs> um, In the days leading up to the strike back in March, you actually you shared your story on social media about sort of how the new television landscape makes it harder to grow and move up in the industry, especially for writers of color and from underrepresented communities. Um, and this, can we talk a little bit just in particular about about what you discussed in that thread, um, about your experience, which is the experience of so many uh, having to work at minimums, having a hard time moving up in title and responsibility, how that traditional pipeline is broken. Can you break that down for people who maybe don't aren't familiar with it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I had been working sort of in you know it's funny the comedy space is just like so diverse in the sorts of shows that you get to work for and also I feel like we already just narrative you get paid less than hour long which I think is Mm, weird but whatever and then you get paid sort of even worse the further away from comedy narrative that you get like in the sketch world and variety world and all this sort of stuff Mm -hmm. and so that's really where I was getting jobs uh consistently first was that that and reality which is not even wga covered most of the time and was trying to break into narrative and i was able to do that because i made uh this feature film called suicide kale which is how i got into my first narrative room and in that room i luckily got the title of story editor because they sort of were like yeah you've been working four years you made this feature you've had a pilot produced like we're going to honor all of that and start you at story editor instead of staff writer. Mm -hmm. But then the show after that, they were like, no, actually we're going to make you go backwards. Mm -hmm. And we're not even going to like honor, treat that as if it was staff writer and put you at story editor. We're actually going to boot you back to staff writer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the show after that, I got offered a show on Freeform, uh, And I got offered that and a black lady sketch show at the same time. And they again said, we're not going to give you a promotion. We're not going to honor that story editor. You have to work staff writer again. Mm -hmm. And I sort of just was tired of being disrespected Yeah. and was like, you all can fuck yourselves. I'm not going to take that. I would rather go back to sketch Mm -hmm. on a show that I think is going to be cool um, than to like just lay down and take this again. And so I passed up on a scripted job to do a Black Lady sketch show. Um, and it 
just is like such a I feel like that those moments of like having to fight for yourself make you realize how lucky you are to be in a union because Mm -hmm. it's just been years and years of hundreds of stories like that of people being like I tried to stand up for myself and it didn't work Mm -hmm. they all collectively agreed that they're just gonna like fuck us over and it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what credits you have it doesn't matter what shows or success you've gotten they're Mm -hmm. gonna like put their foot on your fucking face and smash your face into the ground and make you say thank you. Yeah. And we've, you know, had to just do this collective action to stand up for each other. And uh, it's, you know, interesting being a person of color at this time when it feels like more of us are in this industry and that's going hand in hand with like Mm -hmm. this devaluation of the work and, you know, feeling like, again, that is the upside of a union is like, there's a lot of white people in here. Like, and we're all the same <laughs> level yeah. of membership. Like, we're all members together. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe this is a bit of us, like, being able to, like, this tide is going to lift those boats and we're r- right along for the ride. And, yeah, yeah, this probably has been happening at us at a higher clip. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's good that we have this recourse because if we did it then you know the people that would have been able to continue to make it work in this system um probably aren't aren't the people that have like the sort of background that that i have and that a lot of other writers have Mm -hmm. um one thing that i thought was really cool about you sharing that story on social media is i think among creative among this industry and among just people in general people on social media try to kind of carefully curate their images, try to keep it positive. Like, oh, I'm doing so great. Everything is like perfect. Life is beautiful. Um, to not, you know, post our L's as the kids might say, if the kids still say that. Um, did you have any hesitation about getting into something that real and raw and personal about your own journey in this industry and your own feelings about how the industry has been going lately? I'd I'd shared a little bit of those stories before they hadn't like gone viral like that. And I sort of was doing it just to be like, these people fucking suck and this pissed me off and (laughs) had no idea, right. That it was like a common thing. I I think that's helps with, I think the shame that is part of that. Cause I think that's what's holding you back. It's like, Oh, this is like a personal failing of mine. Mm -hmm. And I, I hope that like sharing that helps people be like, no, this is not a personal failing of yours at all. This is this evil corrupt system who that's doing that to all of us. But I mean, yeah, it sucks. It doesn't like feel good to be like, Hey guys, remember what I had to repeat? <laughs> remember when people weren't paying me well? Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I think it's helpful because I think a lot of people do see TV writers or, or even ones who are like on successful shows as like people that are rich. Like they mm-hmm. see I, I think most people, first of all, don't fucking pay attention to television writers at all. No. And so the ones that they do know about are the incredibly successful showrunners, which is like the 1% of the 1% when it comes to our profession. Mm -hmm. So just being like, yeah, you guys, like, what do you mean? You've seen me on the internet for years. You've seen me in person for years. At any point, did I seem like I was a rich person? Like, I still got the (laughs) fucking heat that's connected to the wall. Like, what do you mean? You you know how I'm out here living. How how are you not squaring, like, the actual people that you know that do this job 
mm -hmm. with this image that you have in your mind. Mm -hmm. Now, that's something I think I struggled with a little bit. And I'm trying to be better about like, because I, I have never worked in the TV side. I've been more in the feature side. And it is that same kind of thing of like, oh, you could do an option, you do a rewrite, you do a polish and like, oh, yeah, these are the things you want people to know about. These are the exciting things. And you don't necessarily like I it is it, uh, feature writing has already become a gig economy in a lot of ways. And I have, you know, taken which jobs I'm, you know, thankful to have in some ways, but are also like on spec and, you know, writing a feature for free in the hopes that like we're going to sell it one day. So I think these are things that are definitely hopefully being addressed in some ways and are also just things that are, I think, important to talk about. So I think it's very cool that you were willing to do that and able to do that and to do that in such a way that was relatable and, and people could really, and understandable. Um, and since that viral thread of yours, you have been interviewed a lot about the strike. You've been featured, <laughs> um, you know, in uh, on platforms much bigger than this one. Uh, did you expect to get that kind of attention? Oh, and how has that reaction and feedback been like on your end? I expected for that thread to go viral. Yeah, that's like sort of why I, I did it. I've like sure. done some comms work and has been on the internet for a little bit so I'm like, <laughs> sure. I, sort of, I sort of know how to work this system a mm -hmm. bit um and then I mean it was just because of that thread that the guild then reached out and was like would you want to talk about this stuff mm -hmm. and I sort of don't I, I don't like things that sometimes attract the ability to have power which i think is mm. what happens when you're just like seen as one of the faces of something people sure. are just like well you seem competent would mm -hmm. you like to do this really important thing sure i i really don't i i well don't worry this podcast is not very important so yeah. <laughs> you're doing this doesn't break that for you at all but it's also like i think i just have to like get over myself a lot of the time and be like you know everything is not participating and everything is not necessarily an attack on like your leftist beliefs <laughs> and disavowal of power sure. uh sometimes it is serving the better good to like use the skills that you have to to help a situation and so that's sort of how i've squared things away in my mind as i continue yeah. to have to talk to freaking people like me let's it's oh no not you <laughs> this, this feels fine this is like normal like Comedians doing a podcast is very sure. feels very normal, but going on like NBC News that feels like wild. It takes some energy. Yeah, and have you gotten not to turn it into hopefully a negative place? Have you seen any like negative trolling or negative like the internet can be not a very kind place sometimes, especially very when you're little. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's uh, you know, Elon's blue checks are out and about on pretty sure. much everything, um, but I have not seen a lot of a lot of that and I haven't even seen like I think the the pushback that I was expecting to get from people like I think because that idea of us all being like rich <laughs> I think was pretty I, it felt popular yeah I thought there would be way more of like what are these like greedy babies talking about sure there hasn't been because I think we like made our case like sort of very clearly of like exactly what is going on and what the realities are. And people always want to know like numbers and shit. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't, you don't know what these numbers mean. You don't know. Like <laughs> it's been really interesting. I think getting to talk to people about even like 
what the job of a television writer is because people mm-hmm. really like just have no idea i mean they don't think of us right that's like right. the thing that's part of how this has been happening is like no one gives a fuck about writers sure. now now people are pretending i'm like no i was here simply six months ago <laughs> people <laughs> all like do not really care much about us um but it's nice that now that we're be- now that they realize we're being bullied yeah i think now they're like well you can't bully people yeah um yeah yeah, I was talking to um, uh, my last guest was talking a lot about how the difference between the 2007 strike and this strike, which he was, uh, you know, on the ground for both, and just how much our messaging seems to be better than the messaging coming out of the AMPTP and how, like, yeah, I don't think we're getting as much pushback as they got in the past because it almost feels like the AMPTP can't even, their position feels indefensible. Like, there's not like nothing they're not getting a lot of people on their side right now. It does feel like a very positive movement. And now it's just a matter of waiting them out to, for them to realize that, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of why they haven't just realized it is why also they have a, have such a horrible messaging problem is because they're like rich people that don't live in the real world. Mm-hmm. So like they have no idea. I think that even sort of the tenor of the country has changed since 2007 and 2008 and they don't realize what a powerful tool social media is like I I just don't understand how they weren't like oh right we're battling a bunch of storytellers (laughs) they might be able now that they are able to like get the message out they might be able to come up with like a compelling narrative to what's been happening to them like it seems like that did not occur to them at all I was amazed today. Uh, we were recording this on the day that uh, David Zaslav gave his commencement speech at uh, or at Boston or accepted a degree or whatever at Boston University. And th- did you see any of that footage yet? I, I saw the chanting. The, the chant, like just this, the lack of like, I felt like he didn't see that coming. And it's just a matter of like, how could you have possibly not? Like they do seem to live in a bubble completely <laughs> removed from what we're experiencing one and just the reaction that they're getting from not just us but from the greater community who's seeing what's going on here yeah i mean it's you know our issues are as complicated as they are on on its face it's the same that's happening to everyone else it's like corporate consolidation rent is up inflation is up wages are down people just want to be able to survive in the cities that they live in Mm -hmm. and uh I, i yeah they, do, they don't know. They don't know. And they furthermore do not care. <laughs> <laughs> Since the strike started, you have been serving as a strike captain. Um, and, you know, I've mostly been striking at Netflix because it's the closest one to me. Um, but and we the strike captains are, have been amazing there. I'm sure you're doing an amazing job. I'm going to have to come up to Warner Brothers and check it out soon. Um, what goes into being a captain day to day? What are your responsibilities? What is that? Um, what does that look like for you? So I'm coordinating Warner Brothers in the morning, um, which I, honestly it means I sort of am in more of a managerial position. Sure. <laughs> so uh, down with me, I guess. Um, <laughs> We're but coming we have for you a next. Lot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of gates at Warner Brothers, and mm-hmm. so uh, there's like real responsibility to some of those. We mm-hmm. have we were able to flip a neutral gate. We were one of the few lots I think that was able to do that and so we've been able to turn trucks away 
because uh, the Teamsters are respecting picket lines. Mm-hmm. Um, for me personally, I'm like getting there, like setting up tables, making sure check-in is set up, like arranging the snacks. I'm like yeah. sort of crafty. Yeah. At the moment. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know. I think we need to move the bananas out of the sun, guys. <laughs> um, and, you know, trying to coordinate some of the like themes that are going on when people mm-hmm. are coming to the lab, making sure that there's water and space and everyone's staying safe and and also just like i think it's a lot of like vibe reading like i'm just like at check-in being like how are people feeling today are people feeling rowdy are people just like i'm just here to like fucking do my get my steps and lift my sign for a little bit Mm -hmm. and also there's a bit of uh like having to charm people into doing some of the rougher (laughs) assignments like Mm -hmm. we have the ranch at wb so you gotta like walk eight minutes to get to the ranch where there are not snacks and you are usually there with just like three people yeah yelling at freaking uh whatever production is like jake gyllenhaal just being like jake please stop doing this to us <laughs> and then we got the whole backside of warner brothers so we got to convince people to like get in a car and go to the other side of the lot so it's a little bit of a trickery that's part of part of my job over there. Yeah, I used to uh, in the pre-strike days and the pre-writing days. I was uh, I used to be a tour guide on the Warner Brothers lot. That lot is wow. I mean, not I never made it up to full tour guide. I'll be honest. Like I did, uh-huh. I did like <laughs> I worked for a few weeks there, a, couple, a few months, and it was just like I had the opportunity to like keep going and become a tour guide, but I was mostly just like. I was done and I was mostly just standing around like their museum. Like, yeah, that's Batman's costume. Uh, But my (laughs) point of telling this story is that that lot's fucking huge. So like, it's so much coordinating on your end. It's amazing that you're, you know, doing that. And it's obviously very necessary. Um, Yeah. And the captains there are great. They're really, truly, it's right. An incredible team of people who do not have the skill set to do this. And yet we are doing it. Speaking of, does the WGA, um, are there more opportunities? Do you need more captains? And how would somebody who's interested in being a captain go about that if that is the case? Oh, yeah, we do need more captains. Um, just contact your current captain and they should mm-hmm. be able to do it because, yeah, I think it would be nice for captains to be able to, like, take days off. A day off, yeah. There. yeah. Um, but, but to be able to do that, I think we need some more captains. Yeah. Um, let's actually get into your life and career a little bit. A lot of my listeners are pre-WGA up-and-coming writers, so I would love to hear, uh, I think they would love to hear a bit about how your career got started. Um, As I mentioned up top, we met around UCB. Uh, We were performing a lot of sketch and improv. Um, But from there, how did you initially get your foot in the door? Was that as a result of Suicide Kale, or was that, um, you know, something else that I'm not aware of? (laughs) So my very first paid job was Billy on the Street which I got from doing this web series called Words with Girls. But then I was working as an associate producer on um, a Soul Pancake special for the Oprah Winfrey Network. The director of that, I at the time, this is truly one of the pieces of advice that I give to everyone. It's just like, run your fucking mouth. Tell everyone that you see what it is that you want to be doing I like that so that director knew that I wanted to be a comedy writer and I was like funny around the office so she was like oh I know the VP of funny or die so introduced me to her I got that meeting 
in the meeting, she was like, do you have anything that I can watch? And I was like, yeah, I have this web series. And she pulled it up on the screen and watched it in front of me. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and she got like a couple minutes in and she was like, ha. And then she was like, all right, you're funny. And then <laughs> gave me the packet to submit for that show. Yeah. And then the first staff job I got was on this BET show called The Experiment, which is supposed to be the Black Tosh.0. It was truly horrible. Um, but I got that because I had written a half hour version of that web series and I was on this listserv and they were like, does anybody have half hour comedy specs? And I was like, yes, Cold submitted it. It ended up being Issa Rae's producer who was like looking for stuff. Mm. Um, and this was before Insecure got picked up. Mm. So she had raised enough money to do three independent pilots for $50,000 each. Um, and so I made a pilot via that process and then that pilot is what helped me get staffed on the BT show wow okay um do you would you recommend I I've hear I hear a lot of mixed things from people who come out of like improv UCB scene was that something that you think helped you as a writer or is that something would you recommend that to people trying to get into comedy and writing or is that um what is your general feeling coming out of a place like UCB well, I had many, many issues with UCB that I was uh, voicing at the time and mm -hmm. everyone acted like I was crazy. And then four years later, everyone was like, oh, I think you were right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so I really enjoyed like the people that I met at UCB. I, I think that having that sort of like bank of performers to like act in things to do mm. shows and all that sort of stuff like i found people that i was like these people are legitimately funny there are people that i still try to work into things even now um but i think it's useful to a point and i think yeah. that a lot of people are not great at realizing when to like let go yeah and when that when spaces have like served them as much as they can um because you know sometimes i go to ucb and i'm like you're still here like, <laughs> come on brother like what are you maybe this is like taking more of your energy than like you realize and you're not able to like transfer that energy to some other route that's gonna that's gonna yeah. come up with something good so i would say yes definitely i mm -hmm. would recommend it to anyone i think that the class is like helped me as a performer i think that improv helps you as a writer a lot Big more time. than i think yeah. people realize um, and I think also if you're not looking to be a performer, but you are looking to be a writer, so much of being in a room is performance. So much of going on generals is performance. Mm -hmm. So much of just like building your relationships is actually uh, dependent on you, like very quickly being able to like let someone know who you are and charming someone and making them laugh. And improv is like super helpful for that. Oh, a thousand percent. I, yeah, I agree with that. Like a thousand percent. Like I had the experience that you're talking about where I remember my first, like my first and only Herald callback when I didn't get on a Herald team, I was like, I broke down in like tears. And like, I was just like, like 10 minutes later, I was like, I didn't move here for this. What am I, right. <laughs> what am I doing? Like, this is, this is, I, you know, refocused on writing and sketch and mm -hmm. features and all that stuff. But yeah, it is the kind of thing that I think is helpful, but to a point, um, Abbott Elementary, great show, hit show, award-winning show. What is it like being a part of something that is such like a crossover hit and adored by so many people? 
it, I tell you what, it makes you look at the rest of your career and realize, oh, this is what it's like when people actually like something you work. <laughs> like, oh, 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 everyone was being polite before. This is this is what it's like when something is like actually <laughs> good and popular. Um, so I, I, it's been good. <laughs> Um, I don't want to get too deep into spoilers or anything for, you know, uh, what's coming ahead, but when exactly do Janine and Gregory finally get together and be, <laughs> be pres- as precise as you can be? I don't have the answer to that. Quinta is keeping that very close to her chest. Um, mm. I think she has like an exact pinpointed thing and things shift around. Like even the things that she said, like, these are the things, the sort of markers we wanted to hit for this past season exactly where they happen within the season moved sure um so i'm sure at some point i'll have a better idea but as of yet she has not said like season five episode two (laughs) when they'll get engaged she has not given us that info when you know will you promise to come back on this show and tell us before it airs that this is exactly the episode will happen i need that promise maybe if quinta dies (laughs) because otherwise she would kill me (laughs) do you have a favorite character to write for this season, it was Gregory. Mm. Uh, first season, I think it was Tariq. But this season, uh, yeah. I, I think that Gregory is like a a mix of all of the writers in a way that um, is really fun, which I guess is like sort of a read since people are always like, Gregory's autistic. And we're in the room like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that's word for word a thing that we said. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, getting into your history a little bit um, from Chicago. Um, when did you know that this is what you wanted to do with your life? And was there a show or a movie that made you realize like, you know, that woke your brain up in that way to this? Um, I really had no idea what I wanted to do all the way up until I graduated from college. Hmm. So I had like sort of played with the idea or been like, oh, SNL, like that's the thing that I guess some people figure out how to do. And like, sure. oh, the Yale School of Drama is there. Maybe I could go write plays or something. And I was reading plays and I was like, these are terrible. I do not want to do that. <laughs> uh, so then I bopped around. I had like several different jobs within like a year and a half of graduating. Mm-hmm. And while I was working sports camps for kids in the Bay Area, I would like get home, I would like bike home. So just tired on top of tired from like yeah. working with kids, take a nap, get up and like make like rice aroni and jiffy. <laughs> so like really, minimum wage. So good. they really do eat rice aroni in San Francisco. That's, that's yeah. accurate. <laughs> yep. It's true. That was, yeah, really a stereotype, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and was watching primetime TV. And that's when it was like Parks and Rec and 30 Rock and Community and mm-hmm. Happy Endings was a midseason replacement mm-hmm. um, while I was working that job. And that was the show where I was like, this is like so funny. And it's not just white, straight people. Yeah. Um, it seems like I could write for sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And then I picked up and moved here and streaming picked up and everyone was like, if you're black and gay, you're on streaming, baby. You do not believe in we We made this thing so you don't have to come to network. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I guess like sitcoms is not where I'm going to like find my jobs. I'm going to mm-hmm. like go work in, work in streaming. And then I worked my way back to, found my way back to network. 
which has been nice. Do you remember the first thing you wrote and the first good thing you wrote? Um, the first thing I wrote was like a series of monologues, I believe, from like people at a party. I think okay. it was like different people, these different lesbians at this party. And I wrote like a monologue for like each of these characters. And then that turned into um, focusing on one of the characters and my friend who I went to college with. She was like the only person I think in our entire graduating class who wrote a screenplay for her like senior thesis or whatever because mm -hmm. Yale didn't at the time had zero screenwriting classes. Um, but she at, at that time, I guess, like sort of wanted to be a TV writer, even though she didn't like pursue it at all. Um, but then she read one of them and turned it into a script. And I was like, it like blew my mind. I was like, what? Like interior <laughs> classroom. Like, I just, like, what the fuck is this? I thought it was like the coolest thing in the world. Um, and then I guess the first good thing I wrote, I, I assume was the sample that like caught people's eye because I had like written a few samples at that point and like had been sending them out. And then like one of them was the one that was just like, people love this sample, it's getting you meetings, it's getting you meetings. And that's like a thing that I tell writers that are on the come up now. I'm just like, you'll know when it's the one, like you'll know when you hit the sample that will be your sample for several years <laughs> because you're like, <laughs> why replace it? People's, not everyone has read it and people still seem to like it um you'll you'll know from the response I think and it's just like on you to just keep keep turning turning shit out and and mm. trying to make shit honestly because I feel like I learned so much from just like actually making things because so much of writing is learning to write with your producer hat on and like problem solving and you really only learn how to problem solve if you are out there running into problems yeah um what would you say uh, you already kind of said a little bit of it, but I'm going to ask it again because I'm not a good interviewer. Uh, <laughs> if you had to give like one piece of advice for writers who are trying to break in, you know, after the strike, uh, what would what would that advice be? Um, be social is really it. And like be fans of people because like every pretty much every job that I've got, I've gotten zero jobs through my management Mm. not only stunning they're really my management like agents and shit like that like i've sure. gotten literally zero jobs through them every mm. job that i've ever gotten has been from someone that i ran into on some like chance occasion telling me about something being friends with someone who knew something was happening like it's just an incredibly social industry and as mm. much as people might be scared by being like that sounds like nepotism it's like no it's not it's like relationships it's like yeah. You want to work with people that you think are funny and that you think you will get along with. Um, and so it's really on you to, I think, make those genuine connections, not just go out and try to meet everyone in the fucking world. Genuinely find the people that you think are funny and talented and build relationships with them and, and pay attention to who thinks you're funny and talented as well, because um, that's that's at the end of the day what's going to get you jobs. We have about a minute left. So before we run out of time and before we get to the deeper, more personal questions where I get to know your soul, I want to <laughs> use this opportunity to where can people follow you? Is there anything that you want to plug? Um, go for it. Uh, you can follow me at Be Hilarious on Twitter and Instagram. 
Um, I'm literally at Warner Brothers Monday through Friday uh, from nine to one. So please pop on by. And it's rare that people, people give. It's rare that people give their exact locations. And where you yeah, yeah, buy. yeah. If you're looking to murder me, <laughs> uh, that's where I'll be. <laughs> Speaking of Brittany, what do you think happens after we die? I mean, I hope that I, I think that our energy becomes part of the entire universe. Um, I don't necessarily believe that you get reincarnated as like a trash bag or something, but I think that your energy like is always around. When you do pass away, as we all eventually do, what do you want people to say about you? Um, I want people to talk about your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to 39 Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay too. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.